This is The Straight Dope, Episode 17, Gear Assessment and Selection for Your Given Activity. I spent a couple years assessing and selecting equipment for Assassin's Way, and although it didn't happen, I got a lot of valuable insight and knowledge from that. And I'm not going to go out and name the stuff that I don't like because I don't really believe in that, but I'll tell you the things that worked or things that worked well for me and why I might choose or not choose to use some of that stuff because I can stand by the fact that it works good. And although you can break anything, and I consider most shooting components disposable to a certain extent, uh, there's some stuff that has earned my particular trust, and that may or may not mean something to you, but it's stuff that I have no problem uh, talking about. But before I do, I want to remind you that this podcast is designed to help you achieve your goals, not me talk about the, the things that I've accomplished or the things that I'm working towards. I really want my listeners to apply what they can towards their particular outlets and then be able to show tangibly, I improved because of this, and then share it with your friends, share it with your social media. And if you really want to support the podcast more than that, go to riflecraft.com, log your targets, and subscribe. Being a subscribe member allows you to have some more diagnostic features, but it also supports the podcast, and it's pretty cool for the price of a couple drinks a month. You can support this podcast, have a place to log your targets, gain insight, and if you really feel like it, you could order a shirt and wear that around because the shirts are pretty cool. But anyway, let's get back to it. I don't usually give a rat's ass about trophies or comparing myself to other shooters, but there are some pieces of equipment that I've been able to win events or get trophies at or, or shows or races or, um, you know, all sorts, because I do a lot of things with rifles. Uh, I made a short list of things that I've used that have won me some sort of a title or trophy or money or something like that. And so those I feel comfortable saying, uh, you know, what I've used and whether or not I'm using it today, it doesn't matter. They worked at some point and I would be happy to use them again in the future. So the heart of the rifle is the action. And I've used a number of actions to achieve, you know, that level of performance, including Impact 737s, Lone Peak Fusions, Daniel Defense Carbines, JP Rifle uh, Uppers, Cobalt Kinetics Rifles, Sig Sauer Rifles, and the Terminus Zeus Action. Those are for, for carbines and bolt guns. I've used Optics to achieve that level of performance with Vortex Razors, Loophole Mark Vs, and Night Force Attackers. Uh, I pretty much exclusively shot Glock pistols, and not for you know any good reason. It's just that that's kind of the pistol that I've ended up shooting the most with, and I can shoot pistols pretty good. Um, I have a SIG, but I haven't, I haven't done anything fancy with it yet. Uh, and then... Barrels. I have tested a lot of barrels, but the barrels that I always fall back on are proof research barrels. Um, they're easy to get. 
they're reliable and I've never had any kind of steel quality issues. I've shot carbon fiber and steel barrels and I have never seen an issue with carbon fiber barrels made by Proof Research doing any of the things that I've heard about online ever. They can get super hot, they can get super cold, and they shoot just like steel barrels. You do get heat coming through them faster because of carbon fiber, and the steel barrels maintain the heat longer because it's steel. And so you can see some mirage come through the carbon fiber before you might from the steel, but eventually, uh, at some point, if there's a big difference in temperature from the atmosphere around you and the barrel itself, you're going to see some mirage but you're going to see that with anything, and there's ways to deal with that, right? Like just blowing over your barrel before you shoot. And um, But they, they work, so I'm going to continue uh, to use those. I like Two Vets tripods. I've carried them around like crazy. Uh, in fact, yeah, I mean, you know, you've, you've seen me post that, that I like that stuff. I use Kestrels, and I have both the Hornady Kestrel and the AI Kestrel. Um, I use them for wind speed and direction. I turn it sideways so that the, the little rotor stops spinning so I can get a good wind angle, and then I get a good wind speed. I, I write my hard data card from the Kestrel. Usually, uh, once I get a DA... And then from that point on, I just use it for a wind speed. I don't use it for my data. Uh, I use the hard data cards. I get more reliable, more accurate data across all environments with the Hornady Kestrel. I can't explain why. I just plug in my data and spin the damn thing around, and it works better. I don't have to fine-tune it, and so if I had to use one or the other, I'd probably use the Hornady one. But either way, it's handy to carry around a Kestrel. And um, for me personally, traveling around to every imaginable environment, I've had the most consistent predictions for drop with that particular one. But again, I I own both, both, and I, I compare them a lot. I like to shoot factory ammo if I can, and I've been shooting an awful lot of 6.5 Creedmoor. If I had to pick one rifle, one bolt gun anyway, uh, and, and, and I, would, I would hope down the road I get a, a 6.5 Creedmoor gas gun. I don't, I don't have one. Uh, and and um, looking around for you know, the idea of shooting a gas gun at the hunter matches and, and for some other long range ones, but it has to have the right velocity and, and, and wind number. But anyway, uh, if I, if I just had to have one rifle, I would probably have a six, five Creedmoor cause it does most of what I like to do perfectly fine. And I like to shoot factory ammo. I don't shoot anything that demands that I need better than factory ammo. And I've had good results uh, with factory ammo. I've won trophies with factory ammo, um, just like I've won them with with hand loads. Uh, and and right now, the best SDs that I see are coming from Hornady and Berger. Um, but ammo is kind of hard to find right now because of you know whatever's going on with the shooting economy, and so you know do what you can to load or get factory stuff, but that that's way more reliable than, than anything else. 
Bipods. I have Skypods and uh, the Thunderbeast ones. My Skypods have kind of crapped out after using them for a couple years in the field. They're just, um, but I still have them, and there's a time and a place for them because of what they do. But the Thunderbeast one right now is definitely eked uh, forward in um, for a lot of reasons, and and I just I just really like it. Uh, let's see. The tripod, we got the two vets one, like I mentioned, but I do think that it's pretty hard to compete with the really right stuff, Anvil 30. If you're going to clamp in, that's definitely like there, there really aren't any competitors in terms of ball heads right now. And, um, and I spent a lot of time shooting off a tripod with bags and shooting off the tripod clipped in. Uh, those are, those are, uh, best ball heads and 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 can almost shoot as good as you would off of a bag on a tripod but i mean i for me personally binoculars are another thing i think you want to have range finding binoculars and the two that have worked really well for me are the vortex furies and and the sig i've only had the fury 5000s not with the AB and the SIG 3000s not with the AB. I'm not I'm not really into the AB kind of digital ballistic stuff in the glass cuz I I just don't I think it slows you down and you don't really need it now. Eventually the technology will catch up with the application and and we'll be able to use it. I I understand that it links to heads up displays and it links to watches and stuff like that, but you're talking about thousands of dollars of extra cost for no real added benefit. So I, but but I do think that those binoculars work extremely well, and with the addition of the compass to the SIG 10Ks, I think that those really kick ass and, and provide a lot of really cool options and opportunities, and hopefully other uh, companies will come out with, with the compass addition to the laser rangefinder and improve the accuracy of the compass so that you can use those as XY coordinates. That really provides a huge and tremendous function to all sorts of shooting applications out there. Um, and, and that's a cool step in that direction. Most of my breaks are the area 419 hellfires. So I can swap out the break and I can put the adapter on and use a suppressor if I want to suppressors. I don't take them to competitions because most shooters are using brakes. And so you got a suppressor and you're surrounded by people that are just blasting you anyway. But it's cool to have suppressors and it's cool to be able to take it off and put on a brake and swap back and forth if you want to. And that makes it really easy to put the adapter on the end of all my barrels and then just swap the muzzle device across the, the rifles or the barrels that I'm using. I do a lot of barrel swaps rather than building out whole barrels because I reconfigure chassis and barreled actions uh, quite a bit with the the 737s that I have. Now, a feature that I think is really cool that I've been messing with, but um, haven't had a lot of time to play at events, although I, I did this last weekend, and I, I did get a, thir- a third place uh, with the Terminus Zeus. And what the Zeus and the the AI do is allow you in the field just to, like, you know, untighten, a little screw and take the barrel off without a barrel vise. And I think that down the road, that's going to be a feature that is really awesome. And, and I think that it adds value to, to rifles and, and to the community being able to not uh, have to have a barrel vise to swap a, a barrel out. Cause 
because um, you don't need it, right? You, you, the machining tolerances nowadays should allow you to be able to take that barrel on and off. And so um, I, I'm having fun playing around with those two actions and seeing what their capabilities and repeatabilities are. I've noticed that the AI can swap out, but if the barrel gets cool, usually there's a my point of impact on that first shot after a cool barrel is put back on is two tenths low, and then it goes right back to zero. And 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 um, I'm I've yet to take it to an event and take the barrel off between each stage, but I plan on doing that at a local match pretty soon. I'm gonna do the same thing with the Zeus, uh, but I wanted to shoot that at a match without without doing that first, just to kind of see a baseline. And and it shot great. The 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 bolt throw is a little bit shorter than the seven thirty seven, but but if, from what I can tell, you know, it, it shoots great. And I mean, the action is I don't know. Like I said, the impact, the lone peak, and the terminus have all have all shot great, and you can adjust to them uh, really well and really fast. But I do really like the idea and the future opportunities of those barrel swap systems. One, you take the barrel off and throw the whole thing in, in, a, in a small pack and you don't need some crazy backpack. I think that backpacks are a huge realm of future potential to develop because there really aren't perfect bags out there for carrying a rifle. And, and being able to pop the barrel off and, or have multiple barrels with multiple calibers so that you could determine what the right caliber while you're in the field is um, would be really cool. I was talking recently to somebody who mentioned the idea of having a match where you had you know one of these or, or an action that you could do these barrel swaps on. And then you, know, you, you come up to a stage and you say, um, you know, kind of like golf, like, oh, I'm going to use this, this, you know, so you pull out the 338 barrel or you pull out the 6.5 PRC barrel or the Creedmoor. And then, you know, if you don't want to, then you pull out the 6BR barrel for, you know, depending on what the nature of that particular shot is, which seems kind of like a fun twist on um, that technology, which would be, I, I anyway, without getting too sidetracked, I, I think that that's pretty cool, and I think that that hopefully more companies will come out with that and provide added capability of multi-caliber field expedient swaps. Nonetheless, the barrel action is the heart and soul of the rifle. The optic is very important, right? It has to track perfectly. It has to do everything that you need it to do and then you have to mount it into a chassis and i don't know what to say about chassis other than if you take your barreled action out of your chassis and put it back in and get more than a tenth of a point of impact shift you probably want to look into another manufacturer i know that with my xlrs i think i have five xlr chassis i can take my barreled action and put it in any one of them and i won't get more than a tenth shift I can swap them in and out and cross between them and um, works perfectly great, right? The idea of the chassis is that you don't need to have it bedded. So if you have to have a chassis bedded, it's probably not made well. I would do that test. I would heat it up. I would cool it off. And I've done all that. I haven't, I mean, it hasn't been super extreme, but I've shot in temperatures of minus 25 
up to 110. And I haven't noticed a point of impact shift in my barreled action doing swaps and tests to make sure that whatever I took, the only consideration was weight, not function. And I could say that, that the equipment that I have can withstand that. And I would hope that yours can too. And if it can't, then you might want to look into something that, that can. Uh, the other thing about chassis or if you're going to have a um what you call it a sling i've noticed that some studs won't seat appropriately into the swivel mounts you want to check that make sure before you stick that in there and and then um trust that it's holding it you want to give it a good yank or two because different firearms don't don't seat those little uh sling studs uh the way you think that they might, and I've noticed that I haven't seen any terrible accidents. But if you if you yank on one, uh, sometimes they're not clipped in as securely as you think, and it would suck to have you know a rifle just drop off your sling. The caliber question gets brought up a lot, which I think is a little bit silly. I think I mentioned it in a prior episode. You want to. I would personally ask, you know, what depends on your philosophy of use, right? If you're hunting, you need to have the energy, you need to have the high wind number, you have to be able to talk about the application that you're selecting it for. But to me, it seems like the easy button when you're doing that is to determine the wind number of the rifle and then ask whether the effective distance is the wind number in, because that's going to answer a lot of those questions. And then if it's got the appropriate energy, but if you've got a low wind number and you're shooting beyond that wind numbers distance, let's say you've got a wind number of four, but you want to shoot 800 yards. It's probably not the right choice because your hit probability is going to be under a hundred percent. I think you really want to maximize the hit probability to be in that hundred percent zone where you're shooting or pretty damn close to it depending on the application and you need to be able to justify the consequences of missing before you go out and so look at the wind number and then ask yourself those questions what caliber but if i i have a ton of six bra because i did a ton of testing on barrels with and and a lot of other uh ballistic questions that i had personally playing around with different velocity and different loads of 6BRA. In retrospect, I wouldn't have actually improved. I would have just gone straight with 6BR. And I, if, if, you know, but, but I have it now and it's all fire form. I got a ton of Lapua brass. And so that investment I'm stuck with, I'm not disappointed with it, but You know, in an imaginary world where I could go back and tell myself, I'd have told myself just to get a 6BR, go with it, because they can shoot, you know, 28, 10, just as well as a BRA can. And that's what I shoot 105s at, is around 28, 10, which is pretty cool. I'm not, um, I, I, I tested, uh, 223, 224 Valkyrie, 6BR, 6BRA, 6GT, 6 Creedmoor, 65 Creedmoor, 65 PRC, 308, and 300 Win Mag. And if I could pick one caliber, like I said, I would probably do 65 Creedmoor. If I was going to do Assassin's Way, 
because of the nature of that and being analog, not using digital rangefinders, I would have probably shot a six Creedmoor, but understanding that six Creedmoors have a lot of issues and a very low barrel life. But for a specific thing like that with a big payout, I would have shot a just broken in six Creedmoor for that competition because it's a very low round count. And in that window, it's reliable. But I think that there is some reliability issues with, you know, bullets that are, or, or with events or applications that have high round counts. And that's why I would default back to six BR. I know people like Dasher. I haven't shot Dasher. I don't think it's much different than BR because people are shooting it at the same velocity. I did not like six GT and, um, the six Creedmoor, the only ones that I noticed, well, the problem is I had some bad steel, so that skewed some of the six Creedmoor ones. And then I played with different, um, uh, different chambers and jumps of the, the, um, in the, in the chamber itself rather than, uh, and, and, and so, uh, the long and short of that is that I really, like Scott Sirely's approach of having a big jump. And so if you have big freebore, I think that I would go with big freebore rather than pushing bullets into the lands. There's just way too much inconsistency with the the close lands. And, and I know people are going to like, you know, start spitting at their, their phones when they hear this, but a big jump is, is more reliable and more reliable in the field is better than having to have everything perfectly clean and, done you know just right there at a flat range because I, I don't you know I know that's not that's not what I like about rifles is not going to a flat range so uh big jump 6.5 Creedmoor 6 BR and I love the 6.5 PRC it's just hard as heck to find ammo for holy crap and it gets the barrels very hot um you know I 308 is kind of fun to shoot but I, I don't think nowadays there's any reason not just to shoot a 6.5 Creedmoor and um, go for it. I love carbines in 2.23 and I like my 2.24 Valkyrie. They shoot great but gas guns right now are a little underpowered and hopefully pretty soon we'll be able to see some gas guns performing at the level and and you know going toe-to-toe with bolt guns at some of these long-range events. I'm trying to get a 6.5 Creedmoor for a hunter match in gas gun, uh, and hopefully that'll happen soon. But let's get back to more gear stuff. I think it's really easy to be critical of gear that's new because you're not familiar with it and you don't have the the, the, the tactile familiarity to be able to manipulate it quick. So you need to refrain from judging too hard with stuff that you're not familiar with right off the bat. But again, I don't think people are using their equipment to the extent that or in the applications that they were necessarily designed for, you know, I mean, having just been in California, I was entertained a little bit by looking at the types of cars that I saw in like downtown San Diego. You'd see these Raptors that had never been driven off the road before and these fancy, you know, trucks and off-road vehicles and sports cars and all this stuff. And it's kind of like guns. You got these, these pieces of equipment that were designed to do all this fancy stuff, but people really aren't pushing them in the way that they were meant to be used. And so I think you need to push them in the way that they were meant to be used to properly assess how they're actually working. 
And you need to do the same thing with your own skills, right? So if you go out to the range and you're working wind and you shoot a plate at distance and you get an impact or you get a miss, either way, you know what the wind's doing. And from that point forward, you're not really training and working wind anymore. You're just working, I don't know what you're working anymore. But if you map out the demands that you have on your equipment and the application demands of the skills that you need for yourself, then you'll know exactly what you need to train and how you need to scale it to get the appropriate feedback from your equipment and validation that working on the skills that you're working on is getting better or not. So carrying this into the post that, that I made on social media today about um, some skills Let's think about the equipment that you might want or need in order to do that. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to kind of read off because you may or may not have, have seen that. But, you know, I think that uh, there's a standard of accuracy that, that I would consider good. And I th- I'm going to call that one MOA, five-shot group at distance. The distance being the wind number of the gun itself. And that way, whatever you have... Is perfectly fine. If you have a four-mile-an-hour gun, that's 400 yards. If you have a six-mile-an-hour gun, that's 600 yards. You should aspire to shoot a one-MOA group, five-shot group, from any position at that particular distance. Now, that's with support. That's not offhand. So what support would you want to be able to carry around such that you were able to do that? Think about what you would need with your skill set that you would have to carry around to do that. For me, it's a tripod. I carry it around either with an anvil or a game changer. And that game changer, uh, I've, recently I've been shooting a, a medium with Git light in it, and I feel comfortable saying that I could probably do that, uh, or at least pretty close to that. Um, but again, you know, those are standards that I have put above my own skill level and in, in, in saying that that's what I would consider a good shooter able to do. And when you're assessing your particular equipment skills, think about what you would need to carry with you in order to do something like that. And then, um, you know, make a list and decide how you were going to carry it. I also think that you need to be able to carry the equipment that you're going to use and have it stowed in your equipment and able to deploy it and and get a shot off rather than carrying around a wheelbarrow or a baby stroller or 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 have to make lots of trips back and forth. I think whatever you're using, you should be able to carry with you and deploy it when you need it to be able to get a shot off. So if you need a tripod with a tack table and a heavy sandbag and a heavy rifle and all that stuff, you should also be considering uh, exercising because that's going to be a lot of work. Um, I think that you should be able to make a good wind call and know the mile an hour variation that you're able to maintain a certain target size hit rate on. And so how you call the wind call, I usually carry around a Kestrel because I'm not really good at just telling off of my skin what the exact mile an hour is, at least not as well as the Kestrel. And then I determine the wind angle and the wind speed and look at the terrain. And I'm getting pretty good at wind calling, not as good as I would like to be. But however you make your wind call, 
have a good system. And if you need something like that, you should be able to have a standard that you would be able to assess whether or not a shot can be taken and hit before you do that. So if you can call the wind to plus or minus five miles an hour, know that within that plus or minus five mile an hour variation, can you hit a target of a given size at a given distance 100% of the time or not? That's a good um good piece of knowledge and a standard and then asking yourself well to improve your hit probability what equipment would you need and how would you test it in order to make that determination i think that a lot of equipment can go down if it's dirty i think that a lot of equipment needs to be maintained particularly gas guns if you carry a chamber brush and you're able to keep that chamber clear in the field you're able to shoot it longer without having issues of pressure in the chamber because there's a lot of gas moving around and they get much dirtier. You also need to oil moving parts more in a gas gun than a bolt gun. And because of that, more shit gets stuck to the oil. They're harder to keep going in the field, but a good shooter should know how to keep care of their equipment so that it maintains the ability to do its job in the field. One thing that we can't really control and I can't really wrap my head around is the issue that people have with triggers, including myself. There's no one brand that, that has, well, maybe there is, but but I'm not going to call anybody out. I've seen all trigger brands go out and a lot of that has to do with the harsh conditions that we're operating in. And I think that that area can be improved a little bit. I think that um, when... Assessing your hit probability, you should understand the factors that go into determining your hit probability and make those calls in the field and, and assess whether or not the equipment that you have with you is going to help or hinder that and know your capability. Depending on the application that you use your rifle in, it may be easier or harder to check zeros and, and do other things, but there are tricks that you could discover like, uh, you know, using a suppressor and taking wind call shots to not give away your position or scare animals at a distance. You can do some things in the field in certain scenarios that you can't necessarily do at a competition, but being able to get yourself back up and running can save you an awful lot of money down the road if you've trained it and planned for it because there are expensive consequences to equipment that you've brought with you going down. So here are some time hacks. I'm just going to throw out a couple as I don't know if they're good or bad, but, but compare what you can do. Uh, if everything's in your backpack, you know, and you're holding your rifle, can you build and break a position with everything stowed in under 30 seconds? I think if you can go out and you can shoot and call the wind to three miles an hour, that's pretty good. And two miles an hour is even better. I think that being able to extrapolate wind speed from a shot that may not have been perfect is another good skill to be able to have to convert that shot to miles per hour wind in a full value context is a very valuable skill that you need to be able to have. I think that a good shooter 
should be able to locate, range, and engage targets with the same hit percentage as targets that they didn't have to locate range because they're going to be using all of the same data and operating systems at the same level. And if you have to prepare and, and, and use other people to do your homework to, to steal a line from Nico, um, if other people are doing your homework for you, it doesn't mean a whole lot if you hit the target. If you do all your own homework, it means a lot more. So determine your hit probability, determine your win number, deploy things on the clock, and start to understand your equipment and your personal skills and keep track of that, right? That's what riflecraft.com allows you to do is you track your shooting fundamentals and there are note sections there so that when you go out to distance, you can record your wind calling ability and things that you're struggling with. So that when you go out in unknown conditions, you're able to actually achieve what you're looking for. Because there are almost no scenarios with rifles in the real world that aren't high stress, unknown position, unknown distance shooting scenarios. Nothing is provided. And as a result, we should be training for that and not resting on known distance, known position type scenarios other than those are stepping stones towards real skills. Anyway, we got off track a little bit and I'm not going to go much longer. If you like this, share, like, subscribe. If you really feel like supporting the podcast, go to Riflecraft and subscribe to that. Order a shirt, tell your friends. And if you don't like it, thanks for listening. But I know you like it.